good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDBE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview. I'm Mike Prezuda along with Matt Williamson. We come to you each and every Thursday night in season from 7 to 8 o'clock and uh, endeavor to get you ready for the upcoming Steelers game. Uh, you can reach us here on the Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and on SNR. And for the last three weeks, at least, we have been building to a crescendo on this program. Great anticipation for the Cleveland game. Great anticipation for the Tennessee game. And uh, the greatest of anticipation for the Baltimore game last Sunday. But Matt, uh, getting uh, ready to look ahead to this Dallas Cowboys game, uh, it might not be inaccurate to sum up the Cowboys as a mess and move on to something more uh, compelling. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, nothing has gone well for this team, maybe even starting with the offseason coaching hire and the defense fell apart from the beginning. The offense had to carry them and then Dak goes down and now Dalton's out. The offensive line's in shambles. Frankly, I don't think Zeke looks the same. I mean, this uh, everything about it is bad for them right now. It really is. And you would think, boy, this could be a letdown for the guys on the south side too. And I think it would take an awful lot of bad bounces for them to lose this football game. Yeah, we're going to dive into the Cowboys a little bit in our second segment tonight. A longtime friend of mine, Rick Gosselin, who has covered the NFL for 48 years. He's been a Hall of Fame voter for 25 years, and he's now a contributor to the Talk of Fame network uh, he'll fill us in on the details, but uh, basically to summarize what's going on in Dallas, uh, the defensive line uh, has fallen apart. It's not nearly what the Cowboys had envisioned because of injuries and, and guys just not playing as well as the Cowboys thought. They've had three left tackles, uh, two centers, two right guards, and three right tackles. The guy who's playing there now, Terrence Steele, 
uh, is an undrafted uh, rookie free agent who gave up four sacks in the senior bowl. Zeke Elliott has not had a 100-yard game this season. Uh, the Cowboys will be down to their fourth starting quarterback on Sunday. We're still not sure who that's going to be. Even the punter, uh, it was announced <laughs> yesterday, had to undergo abdominal surgery. Uh, things are not good uh, in Texas but, Matt, uh, it does look and smell at least like uh, a trap game, as you referenced a moment ago. Steelers coming off of that Ravens game. Uh, two tough ones in a row on the road. This will be their third consecutive road game. They've got a, a home game against the Bengals uh, coming up, a division game next Sunday. Uh, traps uh, can happen. Uh, why uh, do you think, uh, and I assume you think the Steelers are going to avoid falling into one this time. Why do you think that'll be the case? Yeah, and I would have been a lot more concerned, not that Andy Dalton's great, but a professional, experienced quarterback with the weapons they do have. I mean, this Dallas offense, on a per-play basis, was number one in the NFL last year. I mean, it's a dangerous group, and those receivers and Elliott are, are still very dangerous, and, you know, it's a somewhat of a long road trip. You go there and don't have your A game. I could have seen them getting tripped up, but at this point, I, I you know the quarterbacks are going to be very last year Duck Hodges esque at, at best, you know, and just in terms of uh, you know getting in and out of the huddle, recognizing blitzes, and their blocking against the Steelers front is going to do them no favors at all. So I mean, unless you know there's an early unless there's a pick six or return for a touchdown. And several of them, I don't know how the Steelers stumble in this thing. Yeah, the the, the game I've kind of been liking it to, uh, at least in terms of the lead-in, would be the one the Steelers played against the expansion Houston Texans in 2002. And the total yards in that game were uh, 400 and something to fewer than 100. Uh, the Texans uh, got sacked more times four than they completed passes three. And they won the game 24 to six because they had two pick sixes and a fumble return for a touchdown. They're almost going to have to put it on the tee for a Dallas team that uh, since Prescott was injured against the Giants in the third quarter, 36 offensive possessions have produced one touchdown. That's amazing. I mean, it's almost hard to do. It really is. And it's been, you know, just watching this pass game against the Eagles it reminded me when the Steelers went to Cincinnati last year and they were running wildcat and having running backs throw passes. And, you know, you watch Dallas's offense and it was literally, you know, an uphill climb to get three, four, five yards, you know, to stay out of third and long seemed like the goal, you know, throwback passes, receivers throwing the ball, uh, snapping directly to Zeke Elliott. And that worries me a little bit this week, too. Like, I bet there's a surprise on side. I bet there's a fake punt, you know, flea flickers, things like that, that the Steelers better be wary of and just don't let those things catch them by surprise because they're very, very desperate. And, you know, going into the season and early in the season, this was the worst defense going. I mean, one of the worst defenses in the league, and the offenses kept it close. They at least had a trump card like the Steelers' defense a year ago with the with the, you know a really good offense with Dak. And now, to your point, the offense is even worse than the defense. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Duck Hodges without the real good offensive line supporting him, and without the real good defense keeping him in the game. And yeah, it's it's just it's just not working. Uh, but let's talk about the Steelers a little bit here to kick things off, Matt, because 
given all that, I still think the Steelers are better prepared for a game such as this. I think there's been a great uh, vibe going between the coaches laying it down and and the players picking it up, and the, there seems to, the communication seems to be what it needs to be. The messages uh, are being sent and received appropriately. I think they're they're a smarter team, they're a more locked in team. They're not going to allow that to happen. Uh, do you agree? And uh, what what leads you to believe that? If you do agree, it does seem that way. You know they, they have battled back in tough games. They have strong veteran leadership. Uh, they have a coach who I think gets better after the last couple of years have been his best two in the league, and he's on a Hall of Fame pace and is doing miraculous things already. They have a lot of stability in a time when there isn't much stability. They do seem extremely focused. And they also, on both sides of the ball, and actually I guess including special teams and including coaching, and uh, don't have a lot of weaknesses. You know, They might not be the best running offense in the league or the best, you know, uh, cover men in the league, but they're not below average anywhere. Yeah. The, uh, Matt and I, uh, did a Steelers round table today for Steelers.com. I'm not sure if that's been posted yet or not, but, uh, one of the points I made on there that uh, I wanted to repeat on this show going into that Ravens game last Sunday, Matt, uh, there was uh, much emphasis on the Baltimore secondary's ability to punch the ball out and yeah. create turnovers. And I thought it was very well-founded. Those guys, uh, Marlon Humphrey in particular, are phenomenal at that. And it's it's a relentless, every reception kind of thing. And and you saw James Conner when he got uh, through the line, two hands on the ball. Juju Smith-Schuster when he caught a pass, two hands on the ball, just rumbling forward, clearly the the number one job at that point was not to get the ball punched out. So they're 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 receiving the information they need to receive, and they're they're responding to it. And I'm sure there are many other examples, but uh, they're playing football in addition to playing it with the good players uh, that you just outlined. It's a really good point, and you know, it, I I would imagine where you're going with that is I'm sure the coaching staff drilled that into their head all week. Ball security, ball security, and whatever the message yes. th- this week yes. is, you know, don't well, don't, don't sleep, right? Don't be, don't, don't sleep. Don't be surprised yeah. by anything you see because it could be from any any direction. And they're listening. I mean, I I, I assume that's what you meant by that is yes. Whatever the yes. message that, is being told to them, they're listening and responding. Yeah, every every coach in this situation is going. Oh, don't sleep on these guys. They're an NFL team. Sure, uh, whoever it is is an NFL quarterback. Week. You know, I'm sure a lot of teams, yeah, yeah, right, coach. What time am I out of here? I got, you know, uh, they're they're locked in, and that's one way you avoid slipping on a banana peel. Um, great intangible stuff in that Ravens game. Uh, the comeback in the second half, uh, really fun to watch and uh, said a lot about their stick-to-itiveness and staying in the fight and all that good stuff. But, sure. uh, boy, 265 yards on the ground. Is that just because the Ravens, are the Ravens and they run the ball better than anyone or are there some holes uh, starting to spring uh, in that Steelers defense? Well, I don't think it was an accident that you trade for uh, Avery Williamson hours after that, you know, no relation by the way. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I think something I want to actually, actually want to talk to Merrill about a little bit too is I'm not saying it wasn't the point of emphasis to stop the run. Of course it was, but they did so well taking away the deep ball and the big plays in the passing game, that it's hard for an NFL team to beat you just grinding out yards. And again, I'm not saying 
they were cool with allowing teams to run for two, you know, 265 yards. But by the way they played it, they did eliminate Marquise Brown over the top. You know, Mark Andrews running down the middle. And that was, yeah, Marquise wasn't real happy about that. And that's what I hear. Yeah, that's what I hear. And that was a huge <laughs> portion of the Ravens last year was they would run on you and they'd hit the big, the big pass. And if you just t- chop one of those legs off, it really hamstrings them a little bit. But uh, again, I'm not excusing the, the run defense at all. I thought it was telling that Coach Tomlin said pretty much right after the game, and you'd be on top of this more than me, that, boy, we could have used Mike Hilton and Tyson Alou going out when he did so early was a, a gut punch, you know, and that makes sense. But they recovered. Um, I know Spillane is the most popular guy in town, and he makes big plays. But I don't think he, you know, reads his keys particularly well, gets off blocks all that well. Um, I, I think he was more of the problem than the answer against the run this past week. You know, I thought the same thing, and it, it's interesting. Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, spoke today, and uh, the, both the coordinators speak on Thursdays. And it was brought up to Butler all the big runs that they've given up. Uh, I, I think uh, my numbers uh, on that, there was uh, – Two in uh, the games that Devin Bush played, that a big run, the way the Steelers define it, is 15 or more yards. Okay. And there were two of those through the first half of the Cleveland game. Bush got hurt right at the end of the second quarter. And there have been six since Spillane came in. But, boy, Keith Butler was adamant about his defense of Robert Spillane. Uh, he said uh, part of it was scheme, that they were more worried about outside runs and the Ravens mm-hmm. were cutting it back. They were telling Spillane to, as Butler put it, scrape outside, and that was getting him a little out of position. He raved about Spillane's coachability. He raved about uh, he's in the right spots. He's he's doing his job. And he also uh, emphasized that Avery Williamson was brought here to be a backup. I personally think that situation is subject to change. I think if I was coaching a guy in Robert Spillane's position, uh, undrafted guy, second team, came into the league on a tryout basis, has really only been a special teamer until three weeks ago, I would be pumping that guy's tires too. But uh, our buddy Merrill Hodge is going to join us again tonight. He uh, was on the Spillane bandwagon immediately. Uh, Some of the stuff I saw in that Baltimore game, the the one outside run by uh, J.K. Dobbins, 28-yarder, it looked like Spillane just didn't get there fast enough. Uh, the touchdown pass to Brown looked like he overran his zone. Uh, you know, educated guesses on my part, but uh, something's up with the numbers, and it's not just Baltimore's really good at running the ball. Right. And that Lamar guy is a pretty good ball carrier, and they think that I think they've absolutely found another in J.K. Dobbins. We've talked about his, you know, the, the Steeler fan base love for him. I can't believe that they'll put him back in the bottle. Those two are really good. But, hey, I mean, Baltimore had two major offensive line injuries in that game, too, and still did what they did. It's easy to, you know, talk injuries on the Steelers' half or backups playing for Bush, but they lost their right guard and their stud left tackle and still were gouging the Steelers. So, you know, it works both ways. I'm with you, though. I mean, it it was concerning. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But you mentioned long runs. I just read this today. You'd never think it because Zeke Elliott, and even Pollard's an explosive guy. The Cowboys have the fewest flash splash runs in the whole league this year. Yeah, not uh, not Bad. surprising. Uh, watching that game Sunday night against Philadelphia, it was uh, painful at times. Uh, but uh, they are an NFL team, and the games do count. And the Steelers 
can't afford to uh, trip up in this one because uh, they have positioned themselves with that victory over Baltimore. It's it's now not just a good start. It's driver's seat uh, in the division. And, yeah, we're only uh, approaching a halfway point of the season, assuming they can get all 16 in. But uh, you don't want to uh, give any away now that you've put yourself in that driver's seat with a little more than half a season to go. We've got a lot more to get to tonight, so uh, stay with us when we come back. The aforementioned Rick Goslin, Mary, uh, excuse me, Merrill Hodge will also be joining us tonight, as he always does, as we uh, get you ready for, well, it's not Steelers-Ravens, but it's uh, Steelers-Cowboys, and it's yeah. uh, the game they're going to play this Sunday. Uh, Matt Williamson and I will be here until 8 o'clock tonight, so keep it here. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike Pursuta along with Matt Williamson here till 8 o'clock tonight on DVE and SNR. Getting ready for the Steelers and the Cowboys Sunday. You know, when you do programs such as this one, sometimes you are uh, fortunate enough to be joined by the absolute best in the business. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but tonight is one of those times. Our next guest... Rick Gosselin used to own the draft when he worked for the Dallas Morning Morning News. He has covered the NFL in one capacity or another for 48 years. He's been a Hall of Fame voter for 25 years, a longtime columnist. Uh, He's now a contributor on the Talk of Fame Network. Nobody knows the game better. Nobody respects the game more. And nobody tells its story better than Rick Gosselin. Goose, thanks for uh, stopping by tonight. Really appreciate catching up. It's always my pleasure. When I was doing the NFL beat, Pittsburgh was always one of my favorite cities. Well, let's talk about uh, the team that's playing in the city you live in now. Uh, Matt and I, to start the program tonight, uh, assessed the Cowboys as pretty much a complete mess. Did we undersell it? You may have. You may have, frankly. (laughs) 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 They're a 14-point underdog. I I don't recall this team ever. Being a double-jitted underdog, and I've been here for 30 years. Uh, yeah, this is this is a terrible football team. They are, they weren't a good football team when they had Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott had three straight games with threw for over 400 yards, and they, they were one and three in those games. And he goes down in the fifth game, and they've been non-functional since. In the three games since he has left the field, they have scored a total of one touchdown, no touchdowns in the last two games. Ezekiel Elliott has now gone a season-long and a career-worst eight games without a 100-yard day. He hasn't scored a touchdown in the three games since Prescott left. Without Prescott, they can't function. They started a rookie quarterback last week, and he got his his lunch handed to him. And they're going to start another guy, first-time NFL starter this week, either Cooper Rush or Garrett Gilbert, who they signed this week off the Browns practice roster. How desperate they are. They, they may sign a guy they signed off the Browns' practice roster this week. It's ugly here. It's definitely ugly. And one aspect I think people haven't talked about enough with this team, because even when times were, quote, good and they were healthy, like you said, they really weren't a good team. But they're, it's easy to blame coaches and injuries, and all those things are absolutely probably true. But their turnovers through the first several games – were remarkably bad, like way worse than any team in the league. 
18's a lot at this point of the year. <laughs> and it's getting better the last week or two compared to their, <laughs> their normal pace. Yeah, well, Elliot Elliot's already lost four fumbles. He's already lost a career worst four fumbles. And Prescott was throwing interceptions uh, every week when he was throwing over all those yards. What makes it worse? Um, the organizational philosophy is, is they put all their money, all their high picks on offense. You know, when Jerry, uh, when the Cowboys won the Super Bowls for Jerry Jones, they were the triplets. Disregard the fact that in 1992 they led the league in defense and didn't have a pro bowler. They're all about offense. Jerry's got the most valuable sporting franchise in the world, uh, and he's all about marquee value. So he loves quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, uh, names you can put on the marquee. He's not going to draft linebackers and safeties and corners and put them on a the marquee. So they have never really put a whole lot of stock in defense. This offseason, they lost four starters in free agency. Their best interior pass rusher, their best edge pass rusher, their best cornerback, and their only playmaking safety. With screaming needs for defense, they drafted a wide receiver in the first round to go along with the 2,000-yard receivers they already had on the roster. Then they signed a bunch of free agents, named free agents, Don Terry, Poe, and Everson Griffin, um, Gerald McCoy. Gerald McCoy. They signed. Yeah, none of those guys are there anymore. <laughs> right. All right, right. They, they signed six guys. They're all gone. None of them made it to Halloween. So this defense has been it's been terrible. They're last in the NFL against the run. The Browns rushed around like 300 yards, and, and the Redskins hit 200 yards, and they, they can't stop the run. They have very little pass rush. They get no takeaways. Trevon Diggs, uh, Stephon Diggs's brother, plays corner. He's a rookie. He intercepted two passes last week. The first two interceptions they've had in seven weeks. Then you got an offense that turns the ball over, and seven times this year the offense has turned the ball over inside its own 35, and seven times the opponents have taken them for a touchdown. So the offense has done no favors. The only chance this team had was to hold on to the football for 32, 33 minutes, keep this defense off the field. Right now, I think their, their time of possession is 27 minutes. If you're going to ask this defense to play 33 minutes against the Steelers this weekend, oh. good luck. Good luck. Well, Rick, can you envision any kind of scenario where Dallas figures something out? Matt was talking about all the gadget stuff they were running against the Eagles. Uh, blocking a kick. Uh, they do have a good field goal kicker. He, anything, you know, upset. Upsets do happen. We saw, we saw a pretty good upset on Saturday. Uh, any any chance that there's one next Sunday? Do you th- do you know who Cooper Rush is? I do because he played at Central Michigan. Okay, okay. <laughs> and Garrett Gilbert played here at SMU. Okay, so we're talking about. Hey, you know what else Garrett Gilbert did? Here's a little trivia for you. Garrett Gilbert, when he was with the Browns, was the guy who took the final kneel down in the Mason Rudolph Miles Garrett game last oh. year. Good trivia. Good trivia. So, yeah. Steelers time. fans have seen him play. <laughs> of course, they probably all shut that game off by that time. <laughs> so you got two guys coming from non-power, non-power five schools and conferences making their NFL debut starts against the NFL's number one defense. Good luck. And not only that, they got four starters gone from the offensive line they thought they had. The only starter they got from the one they passed in August was Zach Martin. They're on their third left tackle, their third right tackle, their actually third center if you count Travis Frederick, who retired. They can't block. And the Eagles 
they they did a lot of blitzing of Benucci last week, and, and the kid got flustered. Uh, they can't block. They can't run. They got a rookie making the debut starting quarterback. Take the Steelers, give the points. <laughs> Rick, you mentioned how bad things have been on defense since the first snap, basically, of the season. I thought Mike Nolan was a strange hire to begin with. And then you institute a new defense with no preseason. And not only are they less talented on that side of the ball, you mentioned, but their communication seems very poor. A lot of blown coverages and whatnot. And I rarely say this, but their effort is bad. Yeah. Yeah, there are a couple guys who are hustling, but that's about it. Now, yeah. Another one of the issues is the two best linebackers, uh, Sean Lee, of course, a Pittsburgh kid, and Leighton Vandrish, started the season on injury reserve. And those guys are the, are the defensive signal guys, callers. Those are the guys that hold the defense together. And for the first five, six games, they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Lee finally came back last week and played on like seven snaps. He'll play more against the Steelers. But even with those two guys on the field, this they don't have a pass rush. They, they had four players up front who, who had been to Pro Bowls, and they thought, okay, this is, this is what, how we're going to win. We're going to have a pass rush. And that's going to bail out a very bad secondary. We're going to be able to rush the quarterback. Well, they haven't been able to do that. They got Carson Wentz, I think, four times last week because Carson Wentz was, was lost. He, was, he, was, he had his own issues last week. But they don't have a pass rush. Demarcus Lawrence, two years ago, before the 2019 season, signed a $105 million contract to be the edge rusher, to be the next Demarcus Ware. I think he's got three sacks in the 23 games since then. You guys, if you pay a guy a pass rush, you need some sacks, and it's not there. He's got, he had to be a 14, 16 sack guy for this team to even have a chance. Yeah. And he's not been that, not through eight weeks anyway. We're speaking with Rick Goslin, who, uh, as I mentioned, uh, introducing Rick, a 25 year voter for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Goose, a couple weeks ago, the Steelers played the Texans, and uh, our buddy John McClain joined us from Houston and we got around to talking hall of fame and he kind of mentioned unsolicited that uh, now that Donnie shells in, he would like to see some consideration given to LC Greenwood and Andy Russell. Uh, are we just getting greedy now? Should we uh, be okay with Troy Polamalu, Donnie shell and Bill Cowher all in one class or can we pile on a little more in the upcoming years? Well, there's, you, you can make a case for piling on, um, you know, Greenwood's been in the room six times. And for whatever reason, he's not, he's not going through. Andy Russell certainly deserves to be discussed. This, this was a, a great player on a great defense. And had he stuck around for the, for the, the final couple of years of the decade, won those other two rings, he, he'd probably be in. But he retired after the second ring. Um, but he needs to be discussed. And the reason I say they, they deserve greater consideration is if you look at the 1970s Raiders, a team that won one Super Bowl. They have 11 Hall of Famers from that decade. The Steelers have 10. The Raiders had more Hall of Famers and a Hall of Fame coach. Why didn't they win the four Super Bowls? <laughs> Why did the Steelers win the four Super Bowls? I would certainly think the Steelers deserve as many as the Raiders. And given the fact they won three more Super Bowls, you could make an argument they deserve 12 which would put both Greenwood and Russell in the hall. The only other team with 12 was the 60s Packers that won five championships. So I, I can I, I can see where John's coming from. I, I would like to get I would love to get Andy Russell in the room just to be discussed. But but both those guys are not senior candidates. 
and here's the issue. We're, we're bringing out the Hall of Fame. Not, and I wasn't a big fan of this decision. That one senior candidate each of the next five years, and there are 26 established franchises. Everyone thinks they have three to five players that have been passed over unjustly by the process. That's 75 to 100 players in the senior pool right now that deserve to be discussed. So it, th- those five spots are going to be very competitive. You know, some teams have never had a senior candidate in the 30 or 32 years we've been doing this. So they're going to be competitive. But again, like Johnson, I would love to see both Greenwood and Russell back in the room as seniors where they're standalone candidates. You're not competing with with 14 other guys for one of those five spots. As a standalone candidate, I like a senior's chances. We've we've got a pretty good track record of pushing seniors through. So I would love to see both those guys in the next probably 10 years come out of seniors. Rick, last thing I have for you is the Cowboy question is Dak the quarterback next year? And if they finish in the, you know, two and 14, could they be drafting a guy in the top five and starting over there? What do you think quarterback is down the road? Well, I think what they've seen this year is that they can't function without Dak. Yeah. So that saying that they've got to pay Dak, whatever Dak wants off season, they know they can't function. Now the wild card is I don't see another W on the schedule. This team's two and fourteen, and picking first and Trevor Lawrence is your guy. You take Trevor Lawrence, and you take the guy on the rookie contract for five years, and you don't have to pay him what you're going to pay Dak, and he's probably a more talented quarterback as it is. So that's the X factor. If they can get the Jets to wake up and win three games, and coast on out of two and fourteen, then they then they got a decision to make. But I think if they would go Trevor Lawrence at that point, but I don't know that Jets can win one game, much less two. So it looks like Dak. And I would, Do they play I would the Cowboys? Guess, <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't, of course. Uh, so I, I would guess Dak will be the guy next year for a lot of money because they, without him, they can't function. Yeah. Rick, I got one more for you. Uh, you do a power poll every week. You've got the Steelers atop your NFL power poll or rankings, whatever uh, you want to call it. Are, are they really better than the Chiefs in your estimation right now, or are you just kind of acknowledging, hey, one undefeated left, they're ahead of the class for now? No, I, I like what the Steelers have going. I, I think they're the more, they may be the most complete team in football because you look at the, the other teams at the top. Seattle's first in offense, 32nd in defense. Kansas City is like second or third in offense, like in the 20s in defense. I do think as the, as the season goes on, you got to run the ball and play defense, and that's always been the strength of the Steelers. I mean, you're now in their wheelhouse this time of year. It's going to get cold, and you're not going to be able to throw 50 times for 400 yards uh, in December. And the way the Steelers are structured, they don't they don't need Roethlisberger to throw up 300 yards every week to win nowadays. They can run the ball and play defense, and their defense is scoring points. So I, I like I think they're the most complete team in football right now. If they played Kansas City in Kansas City, I think you'd have to have Roethlisberger throw more uh, to have a chance. But if you play them in Pittsburgh. Uh, I like the Steelers. Rick, great stuff as always. Uh, fantastic catching up with you. Uh, good luck uh, staying safe the rest of the season, and hopefully we can catch up soon in person. And, Mike, go green. <laughs> go white, baby. That <laughs> was Rick Goslin, who uh, he went to the same school I did, in case you haven't picked up on that uh, by now. But uh, it's not just another reason why I always like Catching up with Rick. When we come back, Merrill Hodge will join us, and uh, we'll continue breaking down the Steelers and 
Uh, we may talk a little bit more about how bad the Cowboys are. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. This is Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back, Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you, as is our habit on Thursday nights until 8 o'clock as we get you ready for the Steelers and the Cowboys coming up on Sunday. Our pleasure now to welcome regular guest Merrill Hodge to the program. And Merrill, I got to get right to Mr. Spillane because uh, if people are regular listeners of the show, they might remember that you were the first guy on the Spillane bandwagon in the wake of the Devin Bush injury, and you were on it with both feet. Matt and I. Uh, both started to wonder if maybe he was getting a little wobbly after all those rushing yards in Baltimore. But the defensive coordinator, Keith Butler, uh, adamant defensive Spillane today, said it wasn't Spillane's fault, said Spillane's playing great, making all kind of plays. Uh, Keith was really excited. Uh, he even asked me, how many times have you seen Derrick Henry get jacked up the way Robert Spillane jacked up Derrick Henry? You know, words to that effect. You, you still uh, waving that Spillane flag with both hands? Without a doubt, you know. Actually, you, you go back to the um, um, listen. Anytime, most of the time, anytime there's big runs, one of two things has, ha- has happened. One, they've gotten beat at the defensive line position first and foremost. That's usually the start of everything. Um, or somebody's not in their gap. Now, is there people just miss tackle? Sure. Um, the biggest run or the first big run they had. Um, to it actually he was trying to get through a double team he got too high and he got driven off the ball and i hate to i mean and it was a bad play but other than that i'm telling you to it played unbelievable i mean stefan to it was so beast in the game and does he's been a beast but he got out of position he got blown back into the backfield and once that happens your your linebacker is irrelevant i don't care who he is he's irrelevant when you get blown six yards in the backfield it's over and that's why, as a runner, you you hug the double team. You, you want to trust that double team because it's two on one. If the double team wins like that, that linebacker is irrelevant. No matter what side he chooses, it's too late. So that was one of their big runs. And some of their other runs that they gave up that were big were not Spillane's issue. Um, I could I could give you a whole highlight reel of the things he did really well in the game as far as taking on blockers, separating, and getting to the tackle, and being where he needed to be um, in the passing game. He's been like that. And, you know, the one jerk route that they ran on him when the wide receiver got the big play, I mean, gosh dang, everybody, people, they were like, Spillane ran him down. I mean, the guy got, has great range, too. I mean, I, I think that's kind of something maybe not um, noticed about him. He has great range. He he gets he could turn and run, got great feet, got great instincts. Um, now, did he play a perfect game? Were there things that um, – he was out of position on a couple of times, but not grotesquely out of position. Yeah. Well, I don't know anybody who plays a perfect game from that perspective. I'm just telling you, the guy is as impressive as the linebacker as I've seen in quite some time. And if they got all those yards and they're saying, oh, it's because of Spillane, they are dead wrong. They are 100% wrong. You had DBs playing down there and run fits that were throwing chicken wings out there and not where they're supposed to be. So that was some of their problem. Um, they did a good job of getting people cut on the backside on their on their stretch plays, and there was big running lanes. So um, it was not Spillane. If, if if it was, I would be the first one to tell you, go, listen, that guy is killing you right now. That guy is not killing you. That guy is helping you win games. Evidence of that pick six he had. A great job of instinctively reading the quarterback, being where he's supposed to be, but then reading the eyes of the quarterback and being in a position um, to intercept him. I mean, those, those are – 
those are just talented plays. You know, I mean, this guy is not, he's, he, he belongs in the national football league and he has the skills to be a dynamic player. Merrill, an interesting tactic, tactic they took were putting Highsmith out there with Bud and TJ Watt. And I think it's obviously a compliment to the rookie, but do you think that's just a Raven, you know, or, you know, one week type of thing to, to deal with that unique offense or could we see even more well, of that? No. Well, here, um, you mean how they they schematically lined up the Steelers defense? Mm-hmm. And they drop into coverage a little bit more than just yeah. Well, them. well, yeah. Here, well, here's what, what was interesting, and something I think is very important. What happened from last week to this week? You know, they they did such a great job against the Titan running game. Obviously, they did. But here's the Titan running game. They are very very generic. They're going to run uh, inside zone, outside zone, and that and some lead plays. Then period. When you look at the Ravens, they do so much ball action and so much action in the backfield. It is just a more complicated running attack. I mean, it is well versed. Um, it is, and they, I mean, they maul you too. I mean, their tight ends are beasts. I mean, they block the system well. It is a completely different looking running game in, in defending it. And you can get caught up in guesswork and getting out of, out of position. Now, when you go to the, different fronts that they have done. Every team that is a good run team, the Steelers have come out with something. Sometimes, like I think of the first snap of that game, I think they had uh, Cam Hayward. He was at the first or second snap. I thought it was the first. Cam Hayward was standing first up. First snap, standing up. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And first. so um, they have a, a, a variety of looks. They've chosen They played five linebackers again. But that, that's just to their two tight end, two back, one wide receiver personnel, which why not? I mean, take one of your – your safety's out. That's not used to playing in the box like a linebacker. Put a put a guy of strength down there. Um, they've done that a couple times to teams that have that run the ball well. Um, and listen, in this game with the Cowboys, here's one thing that they do have a problem: when you have a group that doesn't work very well together, do not make it easy on them. And I would expect the Steelers. I mean, that's a part of the National Football League. This is part of the growing pain. Once they find a weakness, you're going to see it for a whole month until you correct it and it's no longer on the tape that they're watching to get ready for you, which is usually the last four games. So I would expect them to use quite a few different types of fronts and different looks and force this offensive line to handle it. Cause they have yet to handle stuff like that. And if they stress them, then, you know, aside of them having Peyton Manning, it's, it's irrelevant who they have at quarterback. I mean, they, they can make it a very long day for them um, in, in this scenario. Merrill, I've done enough, uh, shows with you over the years and uh, we've talked enough football one thing you have traditionally emphasized has finally sunk into my thick head and that is never underestimate a professional that's been embarrassed and the cowboys have been embarrassing for a while now they are professionals because they do get paid but i'm having a hard time figuring out how the steelers lose this one Uh, you got any ideas yeah well here's how you can obviously lose it this is where i think coaching becomes very critical because you don't want to come in and lie to your team. This is where you really address your team. Hey, guys, let me just tell you this. We are so much better than they are in all these different levels. If you fail to walk in there and perform like that, shame on you. Shame on you for not preparing like that. Shame on you for thinking you can just walk in and beat this football team because of all the weaknesses that they have. And keep in mind, anybody can have a moment. Anybody at any given time. So the quarterback that they're starting, even though he doesn't have a lot of reps, he could have his moment against you so if you want it to be that way don't prepare like you better prepare or you've been preparing 
So I think, and I don't think any question Mike Tomlin um, will do that and more eloquent than that. And this team uh, will be ready. Um, and you always have to, and people have played in the league long enough. No, I, I got, I, I can't just walk out here and just show up. I mean, with all their problems that they are having, we got to make sure they continue to happen. We can't let them remedy them and better, get them better um, on us. Um, but here's the one thing that concerns me about teams like this is they just throw caution to the wind. Everything's on the on the table. Fake punts, reverses, fake pass. I mean, yeah. just everything going for it. I mean, just you just got to be on your toes with a team like this because they're going to try everything. They got nothing to lose. So that's that's the most dangerous part about a team like this. Merrill, have you watched much of Ezekiel Elliott this year? I mean, I know his yeah. circumstances have been awful. His line is depleted. There's not no threat of a passing game now, but he has not created a lot of yardage on his own, and it's 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 somewhat surprising. Even as bad as this offense has been, they have the fewest long runs in the league. You know, twenty yards yeah. or more. Well, I will, I will tell you this: I don't know if there's a statistic for this, but I bet you they lead it in it that in it too. Pen, penetration is the number one killer in the running game. Period. It is the thing that disrupts and destroys a runner more than anything. It defines him. It limits him. It is the worst thing to happen to a runner. And that comes from like 20 some years of playing that position and uh, from personal experience. But then as you study it now, going to them, because it was interesting, I really watched Ezekiel and I put all these runs in and watched him prior to the Tennessee game because I was like, Ezekiel was the first back taken in that draft that Derrick Henry was the second round pick. Yeah. And when you look at both of their careers now, you're like, holy cow. I mean, would you have thought that, especially the way they started out? So the thing that was really noticeable is I, I wish I would actually, I wish I could show you this play against Washington. Honestly, it was one of the most jailbreak runs I've ever seen in the history of watching and playing this game for 40 years. I think they had three people they didn't block. <laughs> three. And, I, and that actually, the run scheme that they were putting, they, they were doing, I couldn't even figure it out. I'd never seen it before. They had like guys pulling in different directions. So obviously, I think it was a bust but which speaks to what the problem is, uh, where they, they exist. And I'm like, three Washington Redskins guys, they weren't even blocked. And they met him in the backfield right after he got the ball. And as good as he is, as good as I think the greatest player in football history is Walter Payton, Walter Payton doesn't get out of these messes. You know, they just don't, you know. Um, and that's where when a guy like that is having a great year, you know, their offensive line is always, hey, job, line's doing a great job, and then they throw him to the curb. You know, then they talk about the runner being great. Um, there's a great combination there that must exist, and he just does not have it. He hasn't had it all year. Um, it's gotten worse and worse. They've had more injuries, um, which goes to this matchup. Can the Steelers disrupt that? Can they create um, a lot of um, conflict with people's eyes and an offensive line that doesn't see things very well anyway? Absolutely. And I would expect them to do that. That's what you would want them to do to continue the um, the troubles the Cowboys had. The one thing you can say about a team like this that we used to always talk about, if you go out and you, you pounce on them quickly, you can demoralize them. The more you leave them alone, allow them to live, and allow them to have success, then the bigger fight you're going to have on your hands. So how they approach this game, not just whole the, the, the entirety of the game, but how they approach it early will be a pivotal um, key to how the end of the game ends up. Merrill, appreciate it. Great stuff as always. Uh, 
Keep bringing it. We'll talk to you next Thursday. All right. Always good talking to you boys. Have a good night. Merrill Hodge. And uh, I got to give him credit, Matt. He, he, uh, he was on the uh, Spillane train yeah. and uh, unabashedly so. And so far, so good uh, from that perspective. That's uh, about going to do it for us tonight. Uh, Matt, uh, any type of prediction? 30-3, uh, to three, uh, not that close. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the, the Steelers' D-line advantage over that front to kind of echo what Merrill was saying in the run game, but let alone is the pass rush. I think this makes it really hard for this game to be competitive. I think they win by 20. Yeah, I do too. I'm with uh, our other guest tonight, Rick Gosselin. Uh, give the points uh, and uh, light the cigar at halftime. Uh, thanks to Rick Gosselin of Dallas for joining us tonight. Thanks to Merrill Hodge, uh, our regular Thursday night guest. Uh, Matt, great uh, talking to you again. We'll do her again next week. And thanks to everyone out there for finding us. You have been uh, listening uh, once again to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.